Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. This program is produced weekly by the Christ Life Fellowship. Join us on our website at christ-life.org. Got another great session for you today. This will be part number three of Warren Litzman's teaching on Jesus and Paul. It's a great session, and we're happy you can be with us today. Let's get right into it. Here's Warren. The silent or verbal message I want you to see during this conference is a relationship between Jesus and Paul. I especially want you to see during this conference how that the Apostle Paul became the ultimate and final manifestation of Christ in mind and in body on this earth. I wanted you to see that Jesus is a person. He has feelings. He's like most of us on this earth. He's God's son. His mind is greater. His thoughts are probably pure. But he's still human. And when he came to this earth, he was royally mistreated. You probably don't hear that story of Jesus too much, but it is, it is written in the Gospels, which just that we ignore that and modern theologians are wanting to beautify things rather than see them as they are. Little things like there's a scripture in one place where Jesus' brothers, the word brethren in the four Gospels always refers to his four brothers. Jesus' brothers wanted him to go into a certain place and minister. He said, they haven't heard you there. Why don't you go over there and minister? Well, if you read those scriptures very carefully, you will see that that's the area that said, if Jesus ever comes here, we'll kill him. So that wasn't a very friendly thought on the part of his brothers because they actually wanted him to go there either to manifest his power or he was going to get killed. And the scripture says that he would not do that because that wasn't his time to die. So you see, the life of Jesus was never as beautiful on his part as Christ in the human form. Isaiah said of him that he was as a plant growing up out of dry ground and that there was no beauty about him, that any man would desire him as well as he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we were healed. Our beautiful Savior had a difficult time in the manifestation of who he was with his family, with Israel, with uh, Judaism, and with uh, Rome, and all the conflicts that were in the world of that day. So Jesus finally found his most perfect resting place on this earth in another human body, in other human beings. 
What was the difference between these human beings that constitute the church, place where believers have been baptized into Christ, what's the difference between them and the ones Jesus of Nazareth worked with on this earth? Ah, the difference between them is they have all been delivered of who and what they were by the cross. Before the cross, that was impossible. The people he dealt with could not be good enough, honest enough, faithful enough to ever portray who and what he was. But after the cross, he could depend on the fact that if he was with a human being, that God had rebirthed. He was saved. You know why Jesus is safe in you? You know why Jesus is comfortable living in you? It's because he knows something about you you may not fully understand yourself. He knows that you've been to the cross, that you died with Christ, was crucified with Christ, was buried with Christ, was resurrected with Christ and ascended with Christ, and most of us don't know that. You say, well, I don't feel that way. Don't matter. You say, I don't see that. Don't matter. Whether you see it or not, you died with Christ on the cross. That's why he feels safe in you. You say, well, I had some bad thoughts. He's sure not in me. He's in you because of that cross. Not what you do and don't do. If that was the case, never would get a Christian. That's what God knew when he sent his son to the cross, that unless he changed and developed a whole new program for people, he'd never get people of his own. So when God put Christ in human beings, he knew what he was doing was safe because he had made them new creations. So they'd fit Jesus. Jesus knew it was safe because whatever part of you is not right, ignorant, even sinful, he knows that that doesn't touch spirit. Because spirit was made clean by the cross, and when Christ was joined to you, that was a perfect relationship. You see, the in Christ message opens up scriptures you never dreamt of before. For instance, five times Paul says the believer is perfect, stands perfect before God, whatever his subject is. He says they're perfect. Every new Bible publishes, changes that word. Not perfect. It can't be perfect. That's because they don't understand Paul's message. How could they be perfect, man says? Theologians say, we're not perfect. We're perfect in spirit. And when Christ is joined to our spirit, he that is joined to the Lord is what? One spirit. Well, that makes us him, not equal to him. It makes us him. That's what it meant to be in Christ. By spirit, we were placed in Christ. Uh, this is old stuff to some of you, but let me, let me put it before you. 
what the Apostle Paul knew was necessary was a little thing he wrote in Thessalonians. There he said the human being was made up of three component parts, that the human being was tripartite. As I've said to you many times, the Apostle Paul is the greatest psychologist that ever lived because to this day psychologists are still arguing over these three circles. Much to their dismay because they end up without accepting what God gave to Paul on this subject. They end up not having an answer to human beings and I find a lot of psychiatrists and a few Psychologists don't have many answers for you. They do have a lot of drugs, though. So the human being was tripartite. He was body, soul, mind, and spirit. <clears throat> In Hebrews 4, I believe it is, the Apostle Paul says, for the word of God is sharp and powerful, more so than a two-edged sword, I'm paraphrasing this, dividing asunder, Greek says explosively, dividing explosively the soul and the spirit. You see, grace would never work if the Apostle Paul had not put this in. First, tripartite being, next, the division of soul and spirit. Well, you hear a lot of people come along talking, well, it's a whole man. God delivers the whole man. No scripture for that. The Apostle Paul was very keen with this final gospel of grace, that the soul and the spirit are separated. So when you got saved, old blockhead, Satan, the sin nature, went out. That was put out. And in return... You received a new nature. It was Christ in you. It was a new nature. Now that work is perfect. Why is this work perfect? Satan out and Christ in. It's perfect because it's based on the cross. It isn't based on what man does. He must believe. It isn't based on how he lives. It isn't based on what he thinks. God fixed salvation that whosoever believeth should not perish but have everlasting life. That's why Paul separated the soul and the body, which is the human self, from spirit. You see, that was necessary because there was no way a loving, kind, holy God could fix all this up here to suit him. Because he had already, prior to the cross, 4,300 years of Bible time trying to straighten out human cells. So the plan became crucial. What he would do would be to put a part of himself, Christ, in us. That's what he'd do. He'd put Jesus in us. Why would he do that? Because he couldn't get self to ever love him enough. 
to be perfect. So what he would do is to leave these two parts of the human being to what? That's where our works, that's where our love, that's where our service would all take place. But if he's going to get a house full of children that have his nature, he's going to have to work it out aside from us. So this is the tricky thing he did that religion kept from you. When you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, when you got saved, and I always like to say this at this juncture, that people who are really saved, I think, and there's no such thing as being really saved or not really saved, you're either saved or you're not saved, but the people who are born again are the people who knew they couldn't save themselves. Always remember that. Technically, I think that's the way God looks at believing sinners. They have to come to a place in life where they sense they cannot save themselves. They need a Savior. In other words, you just don't come to God like was often said today, that I was down money-wise or I was sick and I just needed help and so I joined the church and got saved and so forth. The born-again relationship with God must be based on the fact that you needed a Savior. Well, he knew that if he didn't put a part of himself in this human being, he'd never get what he wanted. So the birthing, that's what we call it, the birthing. John called it being born again. Being born again. Begotten of God. He who has been begat is begotten and is birthed. All those words are the same. It's the birthing. Five times in 1 John, he uses those terms. Begotten of God, birthed of God. Well, that's acute, you see, to Christianity. So the moment you got saved, the tricky thing God did was he not only saved you from sin and made you feel better, at least for the moment, what he did was he put his son in you. How did he put that son in you? He put that son in you by this incorruptible seed. He put a seed in you. In that seed is everything God intends for you to be. I've said to you in many different ways, different times, it's like any seed, an acorn acorn, whatever you say in this part of the world, an acorn. Inside a little acorn, no bigger than the end of my thumb, is a huge oak tree, 100 foot high, 60 foot wide, thousands of branches, millions of leaves, and they're all in that one little seed. That's what Peter called the incorruptible seed. When that seed was put in you, Everything that God intended you be was in the seed. It's there. It's in every one of you here today. If you knew that and you could live that, that'd cure your headaches, your despondency, your disillusionments, and all the other nerve problems you may have. 
because that's the cure for humanity, for Christians to know who they are. So the birthing was something God did that was a little tricky. What he said was, I'm going to take this human being and I'm going to take the part of that human being that I can perfect. I'm going to put Christ in them and that'll be perfect. They'll stand before me perfect. So every time God the Father looks at this preacher over here, you know what he sees? Through the cross, he sees Christ in them. But you see, the other gospel, the other gospel preaches another thing. The other gospel moves way around here and preaches the correction of the human self. Now that's a hard job because I worked at it many years. I could perfect sinners by getting them saved and having them feeling good for a short period of time than I could ever perfect church members because they always had problems, always up and down. So here we have, once again, the two Gospels. I'm getting closer to that. The next day or so we'll get into it. But here you see the two Gospels. This is the Gospel of doing. This is the gospel that breeds law. This is the gospel that promotes legalism. Most Christian believers wouldn't know how to live without one of these things. They just figure, I haven't been to church if they don't do this to me. I grew up in an extreme holiness church. And we didn't feel like we had been to service if he didn't scald us, skin us. Because the harder he preached it, we would holler, preach it, brother, go on, that's the truth. And not a one of us lived it, but it just sounded better to hear somebody talk about it all the time. But you see, this is another gospel. God seeing Christ in you as your life is a whole different understanding of God's plan. What is this? This is grace. Oh, we get some grace down here too, but not pure grace. Pure grace is where Christ is my life. Now, you say, well, isn't all this determined by what you do over here? Nope. All of this was determined at the cross. That's what you need to get in your mind. Interesting thing about your scriptures. The Apostle Paul believed this and taught this because he didn't know anything else but this after he was saved. But take Peter. Peter's one who was still preaching circumcision. What was it he was preaching? He was preaching, yeah, this is all right, but you've got to get them straightened up in their mind and you've got to get them free of sin in their body. He liked to never come to see the light. But he did finally. But that's the way we've been raised. We've all been raised under law religion. It wasn't called that because most of us came out of a supernatural type ministries where God performed miracles and as long as we saw miracles we figured we were all right. But it was another gospel. Another gospel. 
What was God's plan from the beginning? His plan from the beginning was to put a part of himself in the creature. That's what his plan was. But what happened instead was that the human self over here, who had a spirit without God, Adam, this human self over here had no constraint, had no understanding of God life, spirit life, And so it failed God, disobeyed God, and threw the whole plan of God into a sinful condition. So that instead of Christ being the life of the human being, he had a sin nature. That's why it took the cross to deliver us from a sin nature. Somebody says, well, don't we still have a sin nature? No, what we still have is an ignorant mind that wants to do what it always did. I hope you can see that. I won't go into that. We've done that in detail at other times. But I want you to, I want you to see how simple it would be if we just had this gospel and nothing else. If we'd never had law preaching, we never had law teaching, and could simply see that at the cross Jesus made us all join to Christ and that God no longer looked at us as human selves but as Christ in us and Christ was our life and the God nature was in us. We had become partakers of the God nature. But the other gospel kept concentrating on us thinking right and doing right. It was more interested in our doing than giving us an opportunity to be. You understand that? In religion today, most people are so intent on doing something, they can never be who they are. And that's how many people come into the Christ life. The doers wear out sooner or later. Most of them do. They just wear out. They wear out doing. And then when they decide, God will just have to accept me like I am. I can't do any more. I had that to happen in churches I pastored. I had some of the old timers to say to me, I'm so tired of giving money and building things and sending out workers. I'm just going to stop. And I'd say, well, how are you going to please God then? Well, I said, I'm just going to be who I am. <laughs> Boy, what a message that was. That's what they should have been all the time. But you see, the doing had blinded the being. They felt they'd had to do something for God so greatly. Do something. Well, I'm more laid back every day, so you don't follow me. <laughs> but you get tired of doing, because that makes self feel better. But it also blinds you to the Christ that's in you. And this is what happened in religion. Doctrine and ministries have blinded us to the Christ that is in us so we could never be who we were to God. You see, I don't care how wretched you become as a Christian. A lady said to me the other day, she said, I got so mad at God, I wanted to throw the Bible at him. Everything was wrong in her life. And she just ran it off and raved for a little while. When she got through, I said, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't get up and leave you? What do you mean? I said, he lives in you. 
I said, he had an uncomfortable day too, putting up with you. He said, she, she doesn't have that fixed in her mind yet. She thinks as sure as she has a bad day, he's going back to the throne. You see, no concept of the birthing. See? No concept of the birthing. Well, I lay all this as a foundation. I better check my time element here. My scriptural reference for all of this is in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, sometime I'll come here to you, the Lord willing, and we'll spend all of our time in Ephesians chapter 1. Because I think that's the greatest document ever written. First chapter of Ephesians. Greatest words ever penned. I think, are in Ephesians 1. I said this one time when I pastored. I had uh, an assistant pastor who heard me say that, and he took it to heart, and he spent a whole year in Ephesians 1. Everywhere he taught, everything he did, he based it on Ephesians 1. But he grew in grace that year more than ever before because that's the place to do it. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 4. According as he has chosen us. Now I want to talk to you about some of the words in this fourth verse. The reason I consider this the greatest document is that it precludes Adam. It goes back before the creation of the world. This chapter has to do with God's plan from the beginning, originally. You see, when Adam sinned, this part of God's plan of Christ in you was set aside. Then, with the sin of Adam, what do we got to have? We've got to have this human self corrected. We've got a world that's got a curse on it now. So we've got to remove the curse. First 4,300 years of your Bible is correcting human beings and attempting to remove the curse. Never did work. Finally, God, after the first 2,300 years of this, <laughs> decided I'm going to <clears throat> get one group of people <clears throat> and I'm going to work with that one group. I'm not going to work with any of the rest of them. I'm going to work with this one group and they're going to all be the offsprings of Abraham. <clears throat> and they're going to be a big, great group of people. I choose them. They're a chosen people. Watch my wording here. He didn't say he's going to birth them. They would not be rebirthed. He said, I'm just going to choose out of the world a group of people who are Abraham's seed, <clears throat> and I'm going to work through them. And surely if I work for them, I'll get some humans corrected and I'll get the curse removed. Well, 
it took almost two-thirds of your Bible for God to tell the story of how he was going to correct that group of people. And it just never did work out. Finally, the master stroke was made. He sent his son. Jesus had come to straighten out this people, to correct them, and to show that what God said would work in human beings. He came. He ministered to them. They didn't like him. So a bunch of them ended up killing him. But God's plan was not thwarted. Why do we have 4,300 years of God working in this book where he had no plan of salvation that was perfect? They had only offerings, doer religion. They had to offer their own sacrifice to the Lord. Why did he wait all that time? Because the day was coming in his plan where he would send his son to that cross. And that would be the most hard, difficult time God ever had because he would have to stand and watch his beloved die. He would make sure that that death was necessary. He would plan it from the third chapter of Genesis to Calvary's cross. He would plan by prophecies, the death of that son. He would make sure that when Jesus cried on that cross, my God, why hast thou forsaken First time he called him God. He was always father before. Why have you forsaken me? He would make sure that that was necessary that that had to be done. He wouldn't deliver him. He wouldn't set him free because he had 4,300 years of what's written in our Bible of dealing with these human beings. And they didn't pan out. So when Jesus died on that cross, it was a calculated thing. By this death, I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to get what I want. The first word of Ephesians 1 and 4 is the word according. What does that word mean? The word is used six times in the first chapter. Excuse me. And innumerable times in Paul's ministry. Why is the word according so important? According to what? It's according to this plan that God had. What is the plan? Before the foundation of the world, the plan was that God would put Christ in the believer. Then what is everything that happened on this earth up until Calvary? What is it? It's according to that plan. That's why Paul uses that term so often. According to what, Paul? According to the original plan. I'm not talking about Israel. 
I'm not talking about the Old Testament, Paul says. I'm not talking about Jesus of Nazareth ministry. I'm talking about the plan from the beginning, according. So every time you read the word according, mark it like that, because that means it's according to the original plan of God. Wouldn't it be awful if we had lived all our life and had never known that God had this plan where Christ could be our life? Do you realize there's going to be multitudes in the Father's house that won't know that till they get there? <clears throat> you realize that? They're going to make it all right, but they're going to have lived, they will have lived on this earth all their life and never have known that. They will have participated in everything religion can give them to straighten out the human self, from healing to miracles to whatever it is. Get them straightened out. But when they get to heaven, they're going to find that the number one thing that God had in his plan was Christ was in them, and they didn't know it. According. As he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Let's look at the word chosen for a moment. <clears throat> According as he has chosen us. Underline that little word, us. That shows you the difference between the two gospels. Always remember, when Jesus of Nazareth came to this earth, he didn't come to get a few Jews saved. Look at the four Gospels. There were a few of them that believed. There were a few of them that got saved. But that wasn't God's plan. God wasn't dealing with a few Jews. He was dealing with a nation. You understand that? If you go back to Abraham, we start talking about a nation. We don't start talking about a little handful of Jews here and there, that whole nation is important to God because he chose the whole nation to be his, chosen. He didn't birth them. They were simply chosen, set aside by God. But what's important about that is that Israel will never be what it's supposed to be till the nation capitulates. The whole nation is going to have to turn to God, turn to Christ. They're going to have to accept their Messiah. That's why so many of them are going to be punished and killed during the tribulation period because that nation has to turn to God. They've got to finally get it in their mind. It's a national thing. And that's why Paul said when any Jew gets saved now in grace, he's no longer a Jew. He's not a part of that plan anymore. Three times Paul said in Christ there are no Jews. And there are no Gentiles either. There are no South Africans either. So that little word, us, there becomes important because prior to this, God had dealt only with a nation. But in grace, he brings it down to me. With Gentiles, he doesn't deal with a nation. He deals with every one of us individually. The gospel of grace is not corporate. It's personal and individual. 
according as he has chosen us. Every one of you, an individual, are chosen to be in Christ by God. Chosen to be in Christ. Well, let's look a little closer at the word chosen. The verses following this are going to talk about predestination. And sad to say, theologians have thrown this word chosen in with the doctrines of predestination and election. I don't see it that way at all. I don't believe that had anything to do with it. I think that every human being in this world was chosen to be in Christ. Now let's back up a minute. Because I'm not saying that every human being has God in them. I said every human being was chosen to be in Christ. I told you this in my preliminary words when we started yesterday. That every human being, and that includes the meanest on earth. Take the meanest people you can think of on earth. uh, Whether they run a country or live next door to you. Take the meanest person on earth and fix it in your mind that they were created in the image and likeness of God. Yep. They were... Because God doesn't have any other creation. Ever since Adam and Eve, every human being that came out of a mother's womb is created in the image and likeness of God. Every one of them. So when he says according, here he means that every human being created in his image and likeness, according to the original plan, are chosen to be in Christ. They are not chosen to live their own life. They're not chosen to be their own self. They're not chosen to be human beings godless. They're not chosen to be without the gospel. They're not chosen to be without Christ in them. Every human being was chosen to be in Christ. I mean, don't add a whole bunch of junk to that word. Take it like it's written. Accordingly as he has chosen us in Christ. Leave it there. That's what he did. He chose every human being to be in Christ. Why? Because when you came out of your mother's womb, you were incomplete. You weren't all there. So it was going to take a rebirthing sooner or later. Why? Why did you do that, God? Why didn't you go ahead and make us perfect when we came out of the mother's womb? Because God is love. And a love God demands reciprocating love. And he would have never gotten it if the plan hadn't been like it is. So we had to come to our need of him. We had to want him more than our life. And we had to, when we accepted him, be willing to give our life, suffer the loss of all things for the excellency of his knowledge. We had to be willing to do that because love demanded it. That's the demand of love, a return of love. That's why he did it like that. So every human being created in the image and likeness of God is chosen to be in Christ. What does that mean? 
That means that if the world is denied this message, they'll never know what a Christian is. They'll know what a charismatic is, a Catholic is, a Baptist is, a Methodist is, but they'll never know what a Christian is. Can you believe it? Do you expect the world to understand us Christians when the church doesn't even know who we are? I don't think the world's ever really heard the gospel. I think it'd scare the world to death if I went and told them, well, sure, Jesus is back on this earth. He's in me. Well, our time is up for today. Thank you for Warren Litzman's teachings on Jesus and Paul. We'll pick right up this week where we left off. Please, again, let us remind you to join us at our website, christ-life.org. Read all about this great in Christ message we are all so excited about and that we live. And be sure and check out the bookstore as well for some great teachings from Warren Litzman that you can have right in your home. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring you these great teachings. Harry Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And Teresa Ferraro produces this program weekly for the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, Loving the Christ Life.